Support for today's show comes from OneSkin, who I've got to say converted me to being a subscribed user. Now, if you're ready for warmer, sunnier days, that's great, but is your skin ready? See, your skin goes through a big transition between seasons, not just on the surface, but at the cellular level. That's why it's important to nurture it from the inside out with products that do more than just protect it against the sun's UV rays. Treating the symptoms rather than the root causes of aging has long been the norm. Most skin care available on the market is designed to provide a temporary reduction in the visible signs of aging, addressing just the surface symptoms of an underlying decline in skin health. OneSkin's products are powered by their scientifically proven peptide called OS1. This peptide reduces the accumulation of damaged aging cells, the cells that make your skin less resilient and more prone to lines and wrinkles. Instead of masking these issues, OneSkin addresses them at the cellular level, boosting your skin's natural barrier to lock in moisture and help protect against the elements. They have a full line of face and body products, including OSO1 Shield, an SPF that prevents UV-induced aging and repairs cellular aging all at once. I made the switch. It's official. I signed up for recurring deliveries of OneSkin. I'm going to get it every three months. Um, but I was really stupid about it. Don't be like me. I didn't use our code to start getting OneSkin delivered to my door. But I can say I'm very happy with my skin, very happy with how easy the OneSkin routine is. And I have to say that if you're interested in OneSkin, if you're looking to make a switch, you should use our codes because it is definitely going to make a difference. And I think you're really going to love this product. For a limited time, our listeners will get an extra 15% off OneSkin products using the code MANNERS. That's M-A-N-N-E-R-S when you check out at oneskin.co. Again, that is 15% off when you go to oneskin, O-N-E-S-K-I-N dot C-O and use the code MANNERS, M-A-N-N-E-R-S at checkout. No matter the season, keep your skin looking and feeling healthy with OneSkin. I do. And now back to our show. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on etiquette books as gifts, how to list names on an outer envelope, handling a pregnancy superpower that's not feeling so super, and wedding gift woes. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about giving a gift for a 10-year work relationship. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on prepping kids for the holidays. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm Lizzie Post. And how are you holding up, Lizzie Post? I was just telling you before we started that I'm scared my voice is going to go. I can feel... I can feel it like not behaving at its normal ranges and Aww. everything. And I'm saying like, wow, I got to stop talking. <laughs> and I, we've got podcasts and recordings. And and then you head off on another leg of a book tour. 
Yeah, exactly. So I um, I think this weekend might be an attempt at silence the whole weekend if I can, which let's face it, I can't. Um, and so I'll be really, I'll be crying. Honey, tea, <laughs> lemon and cayenne and honey. Mm-hmm. I know that's a really big one. I used that when I was on the mic for the, for the audiobook recording. But oh my goodness. Yeah. Headed out next week for some really awesome events down in Florida and excited to go. To my knowledge, they are all private events, so I apologize but it, that, that it can't be more inclusive. But I'm really excited to connect with these audiences. They are big lovers of Emily Post Etiquette. And so um, I'm, and, and, like, I get to go see my parents. I was going to say, I really love. Escape from <laughs> like, Vermont in November. And- it it would feel like more of an escape if November was behaving like November here, but it is not, and I'm grateful for that. So it feels a little weird. Like nothing quite seems like it is. I walked out to take the recycling out this morning, Dan, and it was like, oh, it's wonderfully warm. How odd. <laughs> like it's just been this amazing, warm, dry fall for us, which is really unusual. I was doing anisha's school pickup yesterday and the crossing guard was standing outside my car right where i park and wait for about 15 minutes so i listened to the crossing guard have the same conversation with 30 (laughs) different people as they came to cross (laughs) and yeah no the 70 degree november weather is certainly got everybody just a buzz it's awesome talking talking But it is it it is really nice, and this has been a really busy week. So I'm I don't know about you, cuz, but I'm I am looking. This is a Friday, and I'm looking forward to the weekend. Just a little little time to breathe and relax. I was talking with Pooja about how we've gotten into a weekly routine. We're far enough into the school year, far enough into the fall, that the week starting to have a rhythm that feels familiar to me. Mondays feel like Monday, Fridays feel like Friday. And <laughs> you're right. By Friday, I'm definitely looking forward to Friday evening movie routine with the family and totally a little R and R coming. Is that what you guys have been doing? Like a, a family movie Friday nights? Yeah. And it's it's yeah. it's pretty loose because Okay, okay. So it's not like the full like popcorn and blankets and get ready for showtime no but those are all pretty familiar (laughs) elements around friday night at the sending household these days yeah all the elements less production (laughs) and and and, and honestly less consistency when you're like every friday we're working on workly (laughs) weekly routines we're working on it very nice very nice and we're also doing spoonfuls of honey these days just so you know yeah helpful it is how it does it soothes that throat big time big time dan it is so nice to be thinking about weekends but there's actually a lot of fun work in our future too and i don't want us to miss out telling our audience especially those in the new england area about a very cool event that is coming up that you have set up do you want to tell them about it yeah i would love to and for those of you who've been listening to this show you know that we've been delivering our signed copies of the new book through Bridgeside Books, which is a small independent bookstore in Waterbury, Vermont. And they are going to have an author talk on December 1st. I believe it's a Thursday. But when we start talking about November, 
moving along, that means that December 1st is not that far off in the future. No. So <laughs> if you are within striking distance of Waterbury, Vermont, and you're interested, that's another opportunity in the Northeast that is um, wide open, open to anyone. It's a public event. So please consider this your official invitation from the host of the Awesome Etiquette podcast. We would love to see you there. The bookstore owners were really excited about the podcast and especially our podcast audience. And they said, well, we'd love to do an event, but could we do one that's like like your podcast? Like a lot of question and answer. And of course, Dan and I are like, um, that's our favorite type of event. So we were really excited that that's what they were hoping for out of a book event. And we cannot wait. So please come bring your books if you haven't already gotten them to get signed. There definitely will be books there to buy and bring your questions. We are so excited to basically have a chance to do like a live session of the podcast etiquette questions questions about the book questions about emily anything is fair game okay. and lizzie there's one other sort of housekeeping thing that i'm thinking about but it's kind of an important housekeeping thing mm -hmm. and we love our independent bookstores and i would encourage any and everyone to order your copy of the centennial edition of etiquette from bridgeside books the link is on the website emilypost.com you can't miss it it's on every page <laughs> but if you happen to buy your book or purchase your book from one of the larger online retailers and you've received your book and you're enjoying it, I am supposed to remind everyone I know and love and trust to write a review of that book. It really helps. It helps us establish some credibility on those online platforms in a way that helps other potential readers of the book trust the book. And we would just really appreciate it. Those reviews go a long way. It's a way that you can really support the Awesome Etiquette Show community, Lizzie and I, the book, Etiquette and Civility in America. And Lizzie Post, you know how hard it is for me to ask for help with these sorts of things, but I'm so excited about this one, and we would really appreciate the help. Y'all, he could not get through a take without adding that in. It's like compulsory. <laughs> Dan, it's such a good reminder. I'm so glad you you reminded everyone here that no matter where they've purchased the book, that leaving a review does make a big difference. It does help the book's rankings in terms of searches. And we want to sell this book. We are pushing our second printing number, and we want to get to our third and fourth printing within the first year. It would be a big deal if we did this, and it would really make a big impact on our business. And so we are just here to encourage, 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 and we hope that you guys are enjoying the book and that you want to sing its praises. Woo! All right, Wizzy Post. <laughs> How's your voice feeling? Can I think we we should you probably, a Ricola? Are we yeah, ready to go? I was going to say, we should probably get to some questions before it goes. <laughs> Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND, that's 802-858-5463, or you can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. 
Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. Find hidden clues and uncover a murder mystery. You'll solve mind-teasing mysteries of the Roaring Twenties. So fun for Emily fans. Engage your sense of observation to find hidden clues. And we know you all are very observant. Search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. Each chapter uncovers a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve. That sounds Ooh, like la, so la. much fun. <laughs> you can customize your very own luxurious estate island, collect so scraps cool. of information to fill your photo album, and learn more about each character. Chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. For us, it's the mystery of the story that has us invested. And for me personally, it's the building of that luxurious estate island. I mean, come on, how fun is that? We are not going to give away any spoilers. You are going to have to try June's journey for yourself. When you do, tell us all about your custom estate. Any Emily Post 1920s inspiration involved when you build yours? We sure hope so. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. It's a blast. And now back to our show. Our first question is very appropriate to this show. It's titled <laughs> Etiquette Books as Gifts. <laughs> Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I love your podcast. It's great to listen to you at my work desk. I have a holiday gift-giving question that's perfect for you. I happily purchased a signed copy of your book for a very good friend. And a book for me, too. Oh, yeah. My plan is to pair the gift with nice linen napkins made in Vermont and a few other similar items. It will be lovely. But I'm worried. Will my friend be offended that I purchased her an etiquette book? My friend has perfect manners and has never made a faux pas. Should I write a note saying I admire her etiquette skills? Please help. Your advice will be appreciated. Gratefully yours, CJ. CJ, you, you like are, I feel like you've already answered the question in your question as so many of our, our great audience members do. I actually love your idea here of writing a little note about how you admire her etiquette skills, like some treats from Vermont. And I thought that because your etiquette is so excellent, you'd really dig this book or dig would be what I would say, but you know, use your own adjectives. But I think it's perfect. It lets someone know that you're giving the book to them because you admire their manners, because you think they pay attention to these things and would be interested in them. And I just have to say, I also think the book is so pretty that it won't come across too terribly. <laughs> it's not like you're giving her the etiquette for dummies book. You know what I mean? I appreciate that thought 100%. And <laughs> I, I, there are two things going on in this question that I like. One is the idea of a cluster of gifts. It, it becomes part of a sort of Vermont theme gift. So it's not yeah. necessarily particularly calling out the manners. That's one way that kind of diffuses the message a little bit. Yeah. I, I think much more direct like you, Lizzie Post. I was thinking about lines like, for the most graceful person I know, a book about graciousness or something like oh, that. Oh, I like, like that. Something about how, how, how you wouldn't find them inspiring and hope they find this inspiring but it, it, the, the same tone that you're talking about of complementing their skills and drawing the, the connection between the topic of etiquette and your appreciation for them and their appreciation for the topic or something like that the 
the other angle that I was thinking about was one where you talk about how how significant it's been for you. I was thinking about a gift to a recent grad or something like that. And once upon a time, someone important in my life gave me a copy of this book and I've always treasured it. I hope that you'll find it as useful over the course of your life or something like that. Something about how you had really connected with it. You found it valuable, useful, inspiring, worth bringing with you from one place to the next, whatever it is, and and that you want to pass that that tradition or that that along to someone else. CJ, this sounds like an absolutely lovely present that you are putting together for your friend. And thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk about how to make a gift of an etiquette book land the right way. We really appreciate it. And thank you so much for supporting Bridgeside Books and Vermont Independent Bookstores. But how did you know? I mean, it's the very one I wanted. Eddie seemed to know what you wanted. He insisted we get that particular one. Eddie, you knew all the time. Well, I saw you ogling at the store window. I couldn't help see you were crazy over it. And you said you didn't know how to be thoughtful. (laughs) Our next question is a holiday classic about cards and names. Hello, Awesome Etiquette. I recently found your podcast and am loving it. Thank you so much for the amazing content every week. With the holiday season coming up, I have a question I'd love to get your take on. What is the proper etiquette for addressing cards to families with multiple last names, especially those with young children? For instance, if partner one is John Smith, partner two is Mary Johnson, and their child is Baby Smith, how would you address the family on the outside of the envelope? I feel like this could go in a lot of directions, hyphenating, only using first names, only addressing the parents, using partner number one and child's name as the family name. So I'm a bit stumped. Thank you for considering the question. I'll keep my fingers crossed. You can get to it. Best, Jill. Jill, thank you so much for the question. We love the chance to answer a question about classic correspondence. This is a perfect communication etiquette question for a new world where people don't always know how to address things. Even we're so used to sending emails and text messages and sharing contacts on phones, but figuring out an address, puzzling through the components is something that I think we can all use a little review on every once in a while. Let's take a look at the particulars of this question. For me, the trick comes with including the the child, the kid, Mm -hmm. We have a pretty standard convention for how to address a married couple where each of the partners have different last names. So Mm -hmm. I would stick to that convention, John Smith and Mary Johnson. The Mm -hmm. and and having both of their names on the same line is the clear indication that they're married. Whatever titles, first names, last names people have opted to use, that and and same line placement is a way to indicate marriage in that address or, or to to honor the, that marriage relationship on the address. It also honors it even if you're not married, but you're an established couple living together. It it, it means that too. What do we say? Uh, LTRs, long-term relationships? Or significant LTRs, others? long-term <laughs> relationships. Dan, I'm with you though. The, the two names of the parents being separate, it, it feels like an easy fix to me. It's just you, you put them right on that line with the line with the word and in between. For the kids, there's a really classic construction that we actually use for families that I think would work well here. And that's that on the next line down, so the second line, the the line that follows the parents' names that are connected by the and, you would then just write 
the child's name. So in this case, the example is Baby Smith. So you write Baby Smith there. And then after that, on the next line down, you start with the the house number and street address. And then the if there's an apartment or suite number or something like that, that can either be on that same line or the one below. And then, of course, city, state, and zip. And that, to me, would be accounting for each person in their own individual right who is in this household, keeping the relationship of the parents the same, putting the child on the next line below, and keeping it all together, but each person identified. I don't think, because, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it's a good idea to assume hyphens or things like that if you don't know they already exist, or if you don't know that someone totally chooses to and actually appreciates someone writing like the Smith family since dad and baby Smith share the name and and mom just knows that that's easy and conventional or something like that. I wouldn't do those things unless I knew the person was accepting of it or or tries to do that themselves. I was having a very similar thought when I was reading this question. I was thinking to myself, would a second option be the Smith Johnson family with Smith Johnson hyphenated. And then I thought, well, we haven't had any indication that, that that construct is used by this family. Maybe you would say the Smith and Johnson family. And then I said to myself, that doesn't sound exactly right to my mind either. Either. <laughs> and, and they both might work, but they yeah. also might not. So why not go with the one where each person is listed individually and you've got the specificity and the clarity to know that you feel pretty comfortable addressing people the way they've indicated they like to be addressed. Dan, what do you think about the idea of using just first names? I It was one that kind of stood out to me as both an option and it's definitely more casual, but you don't necessarily need the last names to get things right. I think I sent you a self-inking stamp when you and Pooja first got married that just said Dan and Pooj and then your addresses or Dan and Pooja, you know, and then your addresses. So because it was you weren't more... exactly sure whether she was going to be using I, the name I, sending at that point. I remember. I didn't know. And so I went with that. I don't know if y'all have ever used it or not, but did does the construction feel comfortable if you received something that was just your first names? From my cousin Lizzie Post, who knows me very well <laughs> and knows that I would send a lot of social correspondence and not worry about the last name on the return address, mm -hmm. it was absolutely fine. And we did use it right up until we moved out of that little cabin in Huntington, Vermont. Oh, that's right. It was for the cabin in the – I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, I know a good gift to get you guys again sometime. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pretend I didn't hear that. Just gone. <laughs> Um, I, I, you know, I hadn't been thinking about using first names, and I think if the relationship can support it, if you're on that kind of a a close personal first name basis with this family, I think that that would be a nice option too. Option B, mm -hmm. um, that would allow you to make it a little less, a little less formal, a little more personal, a little more casual. Jill, this is a great question. We are so glad that you have found the podcast and wrote in to us to ask it. We hope that you will be a listener for a long time to come and that you have a great time sending out your holiday cards this year. What holds a city together is a need which all men have. The need for living together with their fellow men, sharing their work, helping each other, enjoying their friendships and their companionship. And since people must depend upon one another, they have built up ways through the ages 
of getting along together. Awesome Etiquette gets support from Modern Mammals. I am really enjoying our new sponsor, Modern Mammals Hair Product, and I'm going to give you the promo code right off the bat. Go to modernmammals.com and use the code MANNERS, M-A-N-N-E-R-S, for 10% off. Modern Mammals makes hair products for men, although I'm telling you, Pooja loves them maybe more than I do. I tried their men's hair rinse called Magic Mud. It's a lightly cleansing, heavily moisturizing wash. Take note, listeners, it doesn't suds up like shampoo, so it doesn't dry your hair and scalp out really nice when you're wearing winter hats all the time. That means no more poofy, frizzy, limp hair. It also means your scalp better regulates its own natural oils, which is much healthier in the long run. Modern Mammals' goal is to try and keep your hair and head natural. This means they don't distort your pH balance and natural oils like a shampoo would. This stuff is really nice. It works. I really like having it in my shower as an option. I mix it in about every second or third go, and it is really, really nice in your hair. Imagine getting date night hair whenever you wanted. It's much lower effort, but your hair is going to consistently look much better. Modern Mammals doesn't just say that. They have hundreds of customer reviews saying it and me saying it too. Check them out today. Go to modernmammals.com and use the code MANNERS for 10% off. Again, that's modernmammals.com for 10% off with the promo code MANNERS. Don't forget to use our promo code MANNERS so they know that we sent you. And now, back to our show. Our next question is titled, At Odds with Odor. Mm. Dear Awesome Etiquette Team, thank you all so much for the wonderful podcast and for the work you put into bringing it to your audience each week. I recently became pregnant. Yay! yay! And that yay was in the email, it's but let me there. reflect it right back. Yay! And we're yaying! <laughs> and am now dealing with the myriad unpleasant symptoms that come along with it, mm-hmm. such as extreme fatigue and intermittent nausea that hits both day and night. Whoever came up with the phrase morning sickness was clearly never pregnant themselves. (laughs) I have also gained a seemingly superhuman ability to smell anything and everything, and now even the slightest odors make me queasy. My predicament. I am currently two months into an eight-month professional training program where I spend all day in a small, unventilated classroom with one professor and three colleagues who all happen to be women. One of my colleagues often eats during our breaks. Things like scrambled eggs, seasoned meats, fish, and other pungent foods. Others in the class will, on occasion, snack on things like crackers or an apple, which doesn't bother me much since these things don't pack much punch in the odor department. However, the more pungent food smells from one of my colleagues often makes me feel extremely nauseous. What's worse, the smells often linger for hours since we don't have any way to ventilate the room, so I feel trapped in a nausea-inducing room for hours on end. I shared the news about my pregnancy with my four classroom colleagues two weeks ago, in part to explain why I've been looking so worse for wear lately given the lack of sleep, nausea, and other symptoms. It's been a relief to chat with my three female peers about the ups and many downs of early pregnancy, since two are mothers themselves. We've chatted at least three or four times during breaks about the unpleasantness of morning sickness and how everything seems to smell awful when you're going through these first few months. I was hoping that the one colleague who eats the smelly food but isn't a mom herself might put two and two together and reflect on how her meals are smelling up the room, but she hasn't changed where or when she eats as of yet. How would you approach addressing the situation, if at all? 
There are ample indoor and outdoor dining areas throughout campus, plus dozens of unused classrooms around the building. But I can't think of a way to gently suggest or invite my colleague to try one of those to spare us the lingering food odors in our classroom. She has described herself as being very introverted, so I think she simply prefers to stay in the same small room all day rather than venture out to find another place to eat her snacks and lunch. I don't want to offend or criticize my colleague, but as my morning sickness seems to be getting worse and worse, I'm not sure how much longer I can put up with an odiferous workplace day after day. I would appreciate any advice you have on how to navigate this situation. Thank you so much. Kind regards. At odds with odor. Oh, at odds with odor. We are sympathizing. This is a tough place to be in. Dan, I feel like I just want to get like right into this question. Yeah. And I love the fact that at odds with odor tried the subtle way, the like, let's just bring it up in general conversation and see if that changes anything. If we would pick be up the on first stuff. piece of advice. It's totally right. Or just like a option you could try. But that's not working. And I do think that this is a place where I feel good about being a little bit more direct. And rather than sort of making suggestions that someone go elsewhere to eat their food, I would be clear about the fact that my circumstances have changed and I have a sensitivity that's now getting triggered way more than than it would have a few months ago during the class. And I would say, would you be willing to consider eating outside of the classroom so that the smells don't linger? I'm so sensitive to it right now. I'm, I am noticing that it's really impacting me. So not even like I'm having such a hard time. Class has been so difficult to concentrate on, like not really going into just how difficult it's been for you, but using that change in, in the nature of your body and what your body is going through to say, I am just so much more sensitive to this. I'm noticing it's really either, you know, distracting or impacting me. And I think that that could be enough without shaming the other person or making them feel like they should have picked up on this already. I think it would really help in terms of addressing it, but not making the person feel like they should have known better. I was having very similar thoughts, Lizzie Post. <laughs> I was thinking that really keeping the focus on, and, and I like the way you talked about it, that this is a change, that this is something that's that's new to you. It's not necessarily the way you were experiencing things two months ago. Right. So many of the little details that were included in the question itself become easy things to to fill the conversation and become the thing that someone could think about. So the focus doesn't shift to like you say, shame or blame or um, even too much giving of direction about how to fix it. But Mm -hmm. by really sort of keeping the focus on the the particular nature of this experience as something that's um, recent, something that's new and something that's also, I don't want to call it extreme, but that, that it's, it's, it's a real sensitivity. It's a super heightened amplified. sensitivity, a real amplified example of the way someone might experience this. I remember when Pooja was first pregnant, we used to call it her pregnancy superpowers. <laughs> that, that her body was doing things that were just incredible. We had no idea. And and and, and for her scent was one of those things. And it, it, it really can be something where it's it's even just the tiniest amounts. And then that's that's something that you notice. And that because you're also experiencing that nausea and morning sickness, your body will react and respond to it as well. Mm-hmm. 
I am hoping that that would be enough information for someone to opt to either ask if doing something a little bit different would make it easier for you or to just try to do something a little bit different. Maybe they, they wait till lunchtime when everybody eats somewhere else, or maybe they're able to step outside and eat their snacks during a break. Dan, you mentioned the word ask, and I really like the idea of leaning into just directly asking, would, would you be willing to eat you know, lunch or snacks or meals outside of the classroom, as opposed to, it would be great if you could go eat that over there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think kind of asking the person if they'd be willing to do it might be a really nice touch to it, as opposed to like a suggestion of how they could do it better. The other thing that I'm thinking about is that sometimes it can go a long way to offer just a little bit of explanation to sort of anticipate a thought that someone might have even a sample script that sounds something like this. I, I feel a little awkward even asking, but because the smell mm-hmm. stays in the room and I can smell it for a couple hours, if there's any way you could step outside to eat, I would really appreciate it. It would make it much easier for me to spend the whole morning in this room so that it also gives her some ideas about, your willingness to make the suggestion for a particular reason mm-hmm. that it's not just that you're trying to give her direction or tell her what to do, but that you're looking for very specific or particular outcomes that are going to enable you to continue to participate in that class well. And I think sometimes that level of detail is, is helpful. Sometimes it could be a little bit too much, but in a situation like this where you're working so closely with someone and it helps to know like what the impact is. It, it really does. Yeah. I would also say that it's not a over the top inconvenient ask either. I just want to point that out that it's not like you're asking someone to move to a different room and do the class remotely or something like that. Like the break time is there for you to actually be able to leave the classroom without missing out on the course. And so the the structure is set up well for this to be an easy thing for the other person to accommodate. I know you've mentioned that the other person has said that they feel like an introverted person. And I both want to take that into account in the ask, but also still reiterate that, you know, accessing places that you're allowed to access, taking breaks that you're allowed to to take and making a slight adjustment to just where you're eating that food when you take that break. It's not a gigantic ask. It's worth recognizing that someone could say no, because people can just do that. You know what I mean? But I think that that it doesn't have to be something where you use a whole lot of um, trepidation in your ask of it. I think keeping it nice and clean and simple is a good way to go with it. At Odds with Odor, we hope that our answer helps with this particular situation, and we also wish you well with the rest of your pregnancy. This first trimester will end, and you will return to your normal sense of smell. And the fumes. So bad they made some of your classmates sick. You hadn't counted on the fumes at all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Our next question is titled, Wedding Gift Woes. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Quick wedding question here. I recently attended my cousin's wedding out of the country. It was a great time. 
Since the wedding was in Europe, my wife and I stayed and did a little vacation. We got home 10-ish days after the wedding. Part of my post-trip to-do list was getting the wedding gift in the mail. It was a $250 check. A day later, my mother called and asked if I'd given a gift. I told her that I had just put the card in the mail. She was asking because my cousin called her to let her know she did not receive a gift from us. I was appalled. I think there is so much wrong with this that I won't even get into. But the bottom line is, I thought it was perfectly fine to send a gift after a wedding. Am I wrong here? Thanks, Caleb. It's a good question. Hi, Caleb. No, you are not wrong here. And I'm, I, I want to offer just a little bit of a dispensation for your cousin as well. That this is a situation where I think you have two of the gray area parts of etiquette have overlapped just a little bit. And I think both mm -hmm. parties are pretty comfortable in their gray areas. And <laughs> in in the spirit of acknowledging that, I would say, whew, no harm, no foul. No one seriously hurt here. And we, we, we should be okay. Lizzie, are you seeing it entirely differently than I am? Before I sort of break down what I would think of as those two etiquette gray areas, you did actually write the wedding etiquette book. <laughs> I think that I would describe it a little bit differently, but not far off because the gray area that you're talking about, it does exist. And what I see going on here is that over 10 days after the wedding, the cousin is starting to do things like go through and, and do their thank you notes yes. and things like that. They're doing their follow-up. You know, they've kind of had the wedding aftermath, I feel like, which some couples immediately go on a trip. Some couples don't. And so there's also like this depression period that a lot of couples go through. We we call it the wedding bell blues, where it really – they can reflect back on things and there's a lot of money and time that's been spent and it's now energy, over. attention, focus, energy and attention. Exactly. And these things can kind of culminate in feeling like, well, why aren't other people doing the things they're supposed to be doing? Just so you know, you, you are absolutely right, Caleb. You have, you can send a gift after the wedding and you can send it even we, we tend to say about within three months. It used to be that you had a whole year to send it, but I think we move a bit faster these days mm -hmm. on the wedding. <laughs> not be in the marriage might not last the year <laughs> send the gift fast i don't think it would be wrong for your cousin to sort of be using the family grapevine to check in about something i do think it would be very wrong of your cousin to be using the family grapevine to complain and judge about something mm -hmm. this is one of those where the timing is just really bad the gray area of the 10 days the gray area of the three months <laughs> Have coincided, you know, like we said, your cousin's trying to get thank you notes and, and kind of wrap things up and, and tie up loose ends, all accomplished and had been on vacation, hadn't gotten the gift yet, totally within sort of the etiquette standard of those three months. In fact, you're on the way early side of it. So it's, it's just bad timing. I like Dan's idea of like, actually, everything here is probably pretty fine for the most part. A little questionable on the cousin, depending on how that phone call with your mother went. What was the tone? What was the message that was delivered? Yeah. 
Because the thing that gets me about this is that our Caleb here isn't feeling great probably about having sent that check. And it's a very generous check, Caleb. Let me just say that is in my world, that's a very generous wedding gift. And I feel like that takes away some of the goodness of giving, some of that wonderful uh, spirit of generosity. And that's where I'm sad for this situation. I think it's totally has possibilities of just moving forward and being completely fine. Your cousin's going to get that check in the mail and whether they think it's because your mother prompted it or they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I complained about that. This is post dated, you know, for this date or something like that, whatever. They're going to get the gift and realize that you are someone who, who sends a wedding gift and honors that tradition. You know what I mean? And I'm I'm hoping there'll be a little bit of self-reflection on that part. But if it were me, I would probably chalk this up to bad timing and and leave it be at that and kind of try to process and work through my own frustration or annoyance with it and, and just kind of let it go. I think the place that you started, Lizzie, imagining the cousin sitting there with the intent to get these thank you notes out is the place that I would go to soothe my mind. I would imagine the person who's in that role really trying to hit their marks and dot their I's and cross their T's, mind their P's and Q's, and get thank you notes out that mention the gifts that people gave. And it's so tricky to be in that position when you've got a guest and you don't have a record of a gift from them. And we do live in a world where there are a not insignificant portion of people that don't bring gifts to weddings. And most people understand that social expectation and, and, and play along with it, but not everyone does. And there are plenty of hosts out there who are left with figuring out what to do with the two, three, four people on their guest list who who didn't give a gift and they're not sure whether they lost it or whether it wasn't given and they want to send a thank you note for the people attending, but they don't want to um, draw attention to the fact that a gift wasn't given. So often overlook a gift that's on its way. <laughs> the <laughs> advice is to kind of work that family network a little bit, see if you can get your nose to the ground. Maybe you can track down a gift that, that didn't have a label on. Anyway, there, there are enough situations where that call could come from a good place, not from a place of wanting to scold you, embarrass you, or call you out for having done something wrong, or even not understanding that what you were doing wasn't necessarily outside the bounds of etiquette. I like also, Lizzie, the way you mentioned that the tone of that call to the mother, it's, it's, it's hard to know exactly. If she called really just to tell your mother on you, that's not good form. But if she was calling with the intent of getting a little more information to help get thank you cards out, and that might have been what was going on, we always want to give everyone the credit of the best possible intentions. It puts us in the best position when we respond. That keeping that possibility open in your mind might be a way to combat some of that feeling that I think Lizzie correctly identified that makes it hard to to give as freely and and with the same spirit when when you're feeling called out by someone. Dan, you've got me a little bit giggling thinking of of the comedy of was it mom who maybe didn't translate the message correctly to you because she was feeling called out or something like that? Uh, I didn't even think about that at first. But no, there's there's a lot that could be going on. And as we like to say here in Vermont, hard telling, not knowing. And um, I think that it's, it's, it's a worthwhile expression in this case. It is because it might help to dial down the emotion just a little yeah. bit about the whole thing. 
Caleb, it sounds like it was an awesome wedding. It sounds like it was an awesome trip afterwards. And put me in the category with Lizzie Post that says that is an incredibly generous wedding gift. And it sounds to me like you've got some awesome etiquette. We really appreciate the question and hope that our answer helps you navigate this tricky family situation. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. If you're enjoying Awesome Etiquette, and we certainly hope you are, please consider becoming a sustaining member of the podcast by visiting us over at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content, including a live call, which we are going to be scheduling soon. Plus, you're going to feel great knowing that you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members helping to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today we have feedback from Melanie and Marsha. Hi, Awesome Etiquette. I just wanted to say thank you to Dan for sharing his story about dancing with an elderly lady. It was so lovely that it brought tears to my eyes. I appreciate that you acknowledged the awkwardness of how you felt in the situation, and yet you danced anyway. Good on you, smiley face. As someone who is very reluctant to engage physically with other people because of anxiety about risk of COVID exposure, hearing your story helps me feel a little braver about getting back out there in the world. Best wishes and keep dancing, Melanie. That is so great, Dan. I'm so glad you shared that story. <laughs> well, well, Melanie, I certainly didn't feel very brave at the time. I felt very awkward. And um, I took inspiration from that woman. And as she said, once two people are dancing, then three people are dancing. Once three people are dancing, everyone will be dancing. So keep on dancing. Let's <laughs> spread it around. And finally, we have this from Marsha. Regarding the woman who wondered if she could wear a gold dress for her audition when her friend also wanted to wear gold. 1. She may wear what she wants, but she would be wise to consider if she may hurt the relationship with the other contestant. We women can be very funny that way. Number 2. On the other hand, if they were two men, they'd be dressed identically in tuxes. Just saying. Marsha T. Marsha T. I love that comment. And Dan, I am going to be curious if as we've seen more 
gender-free attire options being engaged where folks are wearing things that traditionally a gender they are not might wear instead. I will be curious to see if that second point starts to go away a little bit more, if we chip away just a little bit at it as men get more experimental with what they have as options to wear. And I thought you were going to say if we're going to see more women just taking the tux option. Well, I I feel like we've already seen that. Like, we've had some really great, very visible women. And I mean, Diane Keaton has, like, worn – I mean, Catherine Hepburn. There have been a lot of women in history, I feel like, especially Mm -hmm. the entertainment industry, who've worn tuxedos and pantsuits and things like that. That, that are inspiration, but I'm very encouraged by the men I'm seeing wearing either dresses, gowns, skirts, things that haven't traditionally been men's wear in American culture, at least. And so I'm really, I'm, I'm excited to see how our, our attire guide continues to reflect this as the years go by. Marcia T, thank you so much for the feedback. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today... It's time for our annual Prep Your Kids for the Holidays segment. We're going to split this into two segments this year. And today we're going to talk about day of event preparation. So things to remind your kids of kind of the morning of the event. And you can certainly talk about these earlier to get them pre-prepped. But a good going over of these things the morning of the event or the night before the event is a great way to get your kids ready for the holiday. Dan, what are we starting with? You know, we're starting with what you just said. The, <laughs> in so many ways, the lesson of the pr- five steps to prepare your kids for the holidays is that it's all about the preparation. It's about doing this ahead of time. And as you point out, Lizzie, even just morning of, even just – a half hour before, 15 minutes before people walk in the door, a little bit of preparation can go a long way. If you can take the time to start to build some table manner skills, some greeting skills, some conversation skills a week ahead of time, a several weeks ahead of time, a month ahead of time, maybe even it's something you're doing all the time, you're going to be in even better shape. But if you can direct and point that practice and that thinking and that preparation towards a particular event – You'll really set your kids up for success or the kids that you're helping to take care of for success when it comes time for that special day, the day that a lot of people have planned for and made an effort for. And it's nice to be able to participate well when that moment arrives. So let's start by thinking about that arrival moment. Let's begin with preparing for greetings and introductions with children. Lizzie Post, do you want to give us the first step? Absolutely. I like the first step because it's both a challenge and really easy. And that's to remind your kids that they want to stand up if they're not standing and to look at the person that they're being introduced to or the person that they are greeting and to make eye contact if you can. And if you can't make eye contact or if your kids you know struggle with this, asking them to look at the the nose or the bridge of the nose is a little bit... um, 
less pressurized <laughs> and yet still achieves that wonderful face-to-face -face interaction that we're looking for. You could also tell them to, to look at lips. A lot of folks, and especially folks who read lips, do that already. So it's a comfortable zone for us to be in. But the one that I like that's so easy and that most kids can do really, really well, especially if they're excited about folks coming over or going to visit folks, is to smile. To remember that a greeting often starts with a friendly expression and that that is so worth something. Placing importance on that for your kids, I think, is a really great way to go because it's easy access. We then want to focus on reminding them to speak clearly. So remember, we want to say, hi, grandma, or happy Thanksgiving, grandma, whatever, whatever the holiday it is or the gathering that you're going for is. You can use a greeting that fits that and to speak it clearly and to feel confident. And I think that that's another really great thing. Dan, I kind of did it in this last one, but what's one of the next points that we have on this list? It's one that is going to sound brutally obvious. And at the same time, <laughs> it's information that you want to give children so that they can enjoy understanding that this is a very simple process. You say the person's name and you can add on to the person's name by saying something like, it's so good to see you or glad to see you or how are you or how's it going? And you can even play a little around with the kids that you're working with. You can ask them to think of the thing that they want to say. Give them several options. Let them pick that. it. Let them own it. Let them practice it. Let them try it on you a few times. And then when that moment comes, they get to deliver it with pride and with ownership and hopefully with a little bit of that joy that makes that glad to see you genuine and authentic and feel good for everyone involved. This has been a lot about the things that we say, but there are also things we do during greetings that are important. And Dan, I'm getting taken back right to the days of writing the book <laughs> because mm -hmm. we started at the very beginning, which was greetings and then introductions followed. <laughs> and we're doing that right here. When we're greeting and we're going to start employing uh, gestures of greeting in our greeting, so handshakes, hugs, kisses on the cheeks, we want to make sure that they feel appropriate. Now, you might choose to say that you're really working with your kids on handshakes and so that we'll give grandma a handshake when we go visit her at this holiday. But mostly with family, there's often a lot, lots of hugs and kisses. And even with family, we, we do still want to make sure folks feel comfortable with this. But when we're talking with our kids, I think it's really nice to present them with options. So you might say that you could wave at grandma if you're feeling a little, a little shy, or that you could offer a handshake to Uncle Nick. And, and, you know, I'll let Uncle Nick know that we're practicing our handshakes. And, you know, or if you feel okay with it, you can always offer a hug to one of your family members. And so giving them some kind of range of options they could engage with. I remember Stella Grace coming to a party at Peter and Trisha's house. This is Dan's mm. niece, one of my many cousins. And she said, I'm going to be shy for a little bit at first, mom, but I'll talk to everybody later. And it was sometimes kids really know how they want to engage. Yep. And I think giving them the options lets them make that secondary choice. But your focus is still on teaching them about making that gesture of greeting along with the words. I love that idea of giving kids options, preparing them for a few of the different kinds of things that they might experience. And also giving them permission and latitude to respond in the ways that 
that are honest and authentic for them, that you can give them the tools to try to get over that moment of shyness. But if that moment of shyness overwhelms a small child, a three-year-old, it's okay. And it's okay to honor that and let them decline a hug until they're feeling more comfortable and are ready to, to, to come out of their shell a little bit if that moment presents itself later on. Dan, most of us are going to be gathering, especially for something like Thanksgiving, around a meal. And I think it's probably a pretty good idea to cover the topic of table manners with your kids just to brush up on the basics. What do you think? I think that would be etiquette 101. (laughs) I had a feeling you might say that. And like the greetings and introductions, a little bit of practice can go a long, long way if you spend just a little bit of time going over this material at your own table. But again, with a focus and attention towards the event in the future that you'll all be attending together, you're really going to set your kids up to feel both equipped and capable of doing what's expected and also like they're in control and they know and understand what's going on. And that's just so important to the good delivery and execution on the day of. As far as the actual touchstone points in the meal, things that are a really good idea to focus on in terms of that practice session, you want to start right at the very beginning, and that's with the wash-up before you come to the table. Just that you take a swing by the sink and you do a little soapy wash of the hands. It's also a great time for older kids to practice just taking a look in the mirror and just being sure that you're presenting well and that you're bringing your best self to the table. This next point is one of my favorites because of the way my mom taught it to us. And that's a reminder to put your napkin in your lap when you sit down at the table. And as a kid, my mom tried to make learning manners really fun for my sister and me. And she would tell us stories about when she was at summer camp and that they would call putting your napkin in your lap, sinking your sail if it was a triangle or mailing your letter if it had been folded as a square. And my guess is these were paper napkins, you know, kids summer camp type of thing, especially in the 60s. But I love those things and reminding your kids that putting their napkin in the lap is step one is a great place to start. And it's a pretty easy place to start. We're not trying to hold things. We're not trying to cut things. We're just putting our napkins in our lap, sinking our sails. <laughs> well, th- now you're well prepared when you're at the table. What about when the food arrives? It can be really helpful to remind children that they don't start eating until everybody's been served. Oftentimes holiday meals are times where we're going to up our formality just a little bit and waiting until... Someone gives thanks, offers a toast, someone says grace, or just until everybody or enough people have been served to begin eating. Whatever the tradition is at your house or the house that you'll be visiting, reminding your children what that expectation is can be an important part of not just diving in as soon as they get that food, which has oftentimes been a real focus of the day, and it can be an exciting moment. Dan, there's another one to add to that, and that's to encourage your kids to pay attention to the host because the host might say something as you're going through the buffet, like, please begin as soon as you sit down or something like that. And giving them that instruction that even as a little guest at a, at a party, that they too can look to the host for guidance is a great thing to build confidence with early in their younger years, especially around a family gathering where these are pretty, pretty safe players for them to be kind of practicing some of these skills on. That same 
host might ask them what they're grateful for at some right. point. And right. <laughs> if that's likely to happen, a little preparation for that is a really good idea. I think it's also really great to brush up on those magic words. Reminding our kids to, to issue their pleases and thank yous is also a great way to remind ourselves. <laughs> and that whether we're doing just please and thank you, or we want to extend it out to reminding our kids about words like you're welcome and phrases like excuse me, these are really great things to bring to mind just before we go to a big family holiday event. There are a couple of table manners basics that we would be remiss if we didn't mention before we talked about any kind of table manners or holiday prep. Chewing with your mouth closed and holding utensils properly. Mm -hmm. If you're old enough, those are floors, let's say. Table manners floors that you want to try to get established Obviously, for some kids, just keeping their hands out of the food on the plate in front of them is the biggest task. <laughs> totally. But if you're at that age where you can hold a fork, a spoon, a knife properly, you're also old enough at that point to be expected to not talk with your mouth full, to chew with your mouth closed, and to make an effort to use those utensils and to use them to the best of your ability for this meal on this particular occasion. For older kids or even young kids who are particularly helpful, um, encouraging them to offer to help clear or to even just offer if there's anything they can do to help out is a great way to start teaching young ones how to participate really well as a guest and that it's totally okay if your host says, nope, I've got everything taken care of. Finally, Dan, what's the last thing we should remind our little guests about when it comes to the meal? Well, some people might think that the last thing you say at the table is, may I be excused? But really, the last thing you say is thank you to the cook, your host, or um, whoever it is at your table that's responsible for guiding you through the meal. So thank the people that you've been able to dine with for the time that you spent together. While we're spending time at that table, it's really nice to encourage kids to participate in table conversation. And whether you have a designated kids table or you go the post-family route of mixing a lot of the kids in at the adults table so that everybody's together, encouraging our kids to be confident engaging in table conversation is a great way to go. And we've got some good tips. I, I love this list. It starts with Talk to the people on both sides of you and across the table. Oftentimes, really little guests are paired up with a parent or sibling or maybe a favorite auntie, uncle, um, or important person in their life and their family to be able to guide them a little bit through the meal, make them feel confident. And that's really, really great. But one of the extra steps to that is making sure that the child doesn't just focus on that one relationship, but encouraging them to talk to the folks around them too. Not too loud, not too soft, thinking about <laughs> inside voice volume, but at a bustling crowded table, maybe a notched up inside voice volume, but just giving kids an opportunity to think about their volume makes it much easier to make those reminders in the moment if volume starts to drift up or down when you mention talking either speaking up or talking more quietly uh it'll be something that they've got some reference for and are able to follow along with 
one of the classic etiquette points that is one we we lean on heavily in our adult business etiquette seminars also applies to kids. And that is that we really want to remind our kids and encourage them that if they are able to, they need to close their mouth while they're chewing and not talk with their mouth full of either food or especially liquid. Um, but this is one of those really important deal breaker type manners. And the more chances we have to reinforce it, the better. So this is a great opportunity to take to remind kids to not talk with their mouths full. And hopefully the problem that kids are facing at the table is that they've got so much to contribute. They want to talk so much that they're tempted to talk with their mouth full. The other issue <laughs> that can sometimes arise is when children don't know how to participate or how to engage with conversation. Yeah. And there's a tip for adults. If you're asking kids questions, if you're trying to engage them, asking them questions that don't just have yes or no answers is one good way to start to draw out maybe um, more, more complete or more sophisticated replies and responses. It's a, a good tactic for actually getting the conversation going as opposed mm -hmm. to just extracting information. The, other tip that we have is for preparing kids. And this is one of those places where working through some sample scripts ahead of time can be so helpful and giving them the option to choose conversation starter questions that they like is a great way to get kids ready and um, maybe ready to engage in a surprising way. There's nothing, I, or I'll, I'll reveal something about myself. I find nothing quite so delightful as a little four or five-year-old girl who just has a, a precocious interest about everything and is, is equipped <laughs> to ask you one question after another and talk about anything that comes up. But oftentimes you have to get the ball rolling somehow and you can prepare your kids to get the ball rolling with conversation starter questions and letting them choose or pick ones that, that appeal to them. I always love that your two nieces, Stella Grace and Dylan, feel really confident talking to me about dogs because they know that I'm one of the cousins with a dog and they really uh -huh. like my dog because they met him as a puppy. And I've noticed that a couple of times since we've had family gatherings since I got Sunny that that they go for that topic. And I love seeing them have that confident space to engage with me and Sunny, frankly. <laughs> When you've got older kids, you might consider reminding them about the idea that we don't typically talk about personal family issues at the table. And we also try not to dive too deeply into negative news, instead saving those conversations for times when we're not distracted by eating and the larger table around us, but can really focus on them and give them the attention they deserve. Woo, there is a lot of material. And whenever we're <laughs> moving through lists like this, there's so much that we don't have an opportunity to say. So we will be sure to include links to all of these preparation articles. It's part of a, a five-part article series on our website about preparing kids for the holidays. We covered the first three this week. We'll be covering two more next week. As we go through it, the takeaway thought that I most want to leave everyone with is that if you imagine the situation that you're going to be participating in, whether it's a, an event that recurs and it's something that is very predictable because you did it last year and the year before that, or whether you're going to visit people that you know for the first time, but hopefully, probably you know something about them or can find something out, anticipating the event and working with kids ahead of time so that they're prepared for those moments that would matter the most to you that they're prepared with information and with skills to navigate those moments and experiences with confidence 
is a real gift that you can give both to them and yourself and your hosts or your guests, depending on what role you're playing this holiday season. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today we have a salute from Jen. Hi Lizzie and Dan, I'd like to send an etiquette salute to my friend and colleague, Jacqueline. I love hearing everyone's salutes on the podcast and would now like to single Jacqueline out for always nailing a piece of classic etiquette, the thank you note. I've been lucky to attend four celebrations with her over the past year, a bridal shower, wedding, and two baby showers within a few weeks of each other. Even though there's a lot going on with big life events and changes, she always sends out thank you notes so fast and on cute stationery. She's sincere in her thanks for both the gift and for her guests spending time celebrating her and her husband. I was part of the group that helped with her office baby shower, and she had host gifts for me and the others waiting, again, with a sweet note. The icing on the cake was the appreciation email she sent to our entire office a few hours after we all went back to our day-to-day duties. Our team is extremely busy with a new project. Plus, we're hybrid, so most people made a special trip to come to the building for the shower. She acknowledged all of that and more in her email. And I'm sure they'll all have a thank you note for their gifts soon. Thank you, Jacqueline, for being a great friend and an example of showing people that you care. We can't wait to meet little Robert when he arrives. Sincerely, Jen. P.S. I received my signed copy of the new book in the mail. It's beautiful, and I'm looking forward to jumping into it soon. Thanks, as always. Well, thank you, Jen, for this salute. I love hearing about thank you notes and how they work and how they create just incredible impressions about people. Thank you for reminding us how important this etiquette tradition is and for saluting your friend Jacqueline. We wish her the best as she gets ready for the new arrival. And thank you all for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with your friends, family, coworkers, strangers, any way that you like to share podcasts. You can send us your next question, piece of feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or a text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member of the podcast by visiting us over at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people to find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget.